What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Today is going to be a great day, and it's going to be a great day because we have the college football playoff national championship game tonight. Obviously, you guys know Michigan is playing Washington, and we have some great storylines throughout this game. I mean, if you look at Washington to start, Washington is one of the best offenses that I've seen in college football in a long time. Led by Heisman runner-up Michael Penix Jr., quarterback, they have a great receiving corps, and they have the best offensive line in football. It's an up-and-coming program, and they are going to put on a show offensively. But on the other side of the ball, we have Michigan. Now, Michigan has dealt with so much stuff this year. Some of it's self-inflicted, of course, but their name has been in the news nonstop. Jim Harbaugh is the coach. He's also dealing with rumors that he may be headed to the NFL after this game. So we'll see what happens. They have a great defense themselves, so it's going to be best on best. Best offense of the country versus best defense of the country. We'll see what happens. Michigan is currently favored by about four and a half points. The over-under is set at 56, and it should be a tremendous game. But rather than talk about the X's and O's of the game themselves, there's better people that can do that. Today, I want to talk about the business and money behind the college football playoff natural championship game. We're going to talk about TV rights. We're going to talk about sponsorships. We're going to talk about the coaching incentives and so much more. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. So let's get right into it. All right, before we get into Michigan versus Washington, I want to talk a little bit about what's happened over the last few weeks. When Florida State lost its starting quarterback late in the season, Jordan Travis, I still thought they were going to be included in the college football playoff. They had a great defense, they won their conference championship, and an undefeated team from a major Power 5 conference had never, had never been left out of the college football playoff. Florida State did everything they were supposed to do, was the phrase being thrown around by many people. But I also wasn't surprised the committee decided to leave them out. Alabama's win over Georgia gave the committee enough of a reason to put them in over Florida State, whether you agree with them or not. And the opportunity cost of leaving Nick Saban and Alabama out of the college football playoff was too big to pass up. We're talking Alabama versus Michigan, Nick Saban versus Jim Harbaugh. At the Rose Bowl, national title implications. I mean, TV executives were salivating. It literally doesn't get any bigger than that. This caused ticket prices to soar. The average person paid nearly $750 per ticket to attend. The TV ratings were massive too, with the Rose Bowl averaging 27.2 million viewers, making it the most viewed non-NFL sporting event since 2018. This is precisely why I love sports business so much. You may disagree with the decision and think it's stupid, but all you have to do is follow the money to see exactly why that decision was made. Flora Kelly at ESPN Flora on Twitter posted this awesome chart of the viewership of the college football playoff semifinal, the Rose Bowl, and it shows that they had a steady minute-by-minute build up to the ratings. And what I mean by that is that the game started at around 20 million viewers, and it peaked north of 30 million at 33 million viewers. And the reason for that is some of these games, they, they usually start out, right? When the game starts, it has a number, and more people start tuning in and tuning in, tuning in and tuning in. And the final number that you hear from people like me or other people is the average of all those numbers, right? So the average for this game was 27.2 million. It started around 20 and it peaked around 33. Now, the reason why the viewership number was so high is because it was an amazing game. It went into overtime and there was a steady build out through the entire game. The only decline of viewership you saw at all was during halftime, right? So if you think about a bad game, what would happen? Take, you know, Georgia and TCU last year. People turn it off. It's a late night game. They stop watching and that brings the viewership number down. When you have a steady minute by minute build, that's in the ratings world, that's amazing, right? Because the number just keeps going higher and higher and higher and it eventually pulls up that average. So that's what we saw with the Rose Bowl. Not only was it two great teams, but it was an amazing game that went into overtime 
The commercials were flowing. The viewership was high. ESPN and all their partners made a ton of money off of that. And that's precisely why I think Alabama was eventually chosen over Florida State. Now, that's where the dream ends for ESPN, though. Washington beat Texas in the Sugar Bowl later that night. Ticket prices for the national championship have since dropped 66%. From a $3,000 get-in price, that's what it would costing for tickets around halftime of the Sugar Bowl, to about $1,000 today you can get into the national championship game. And the reason for this is simple. Texas is a bigger fan base than Washington, right? So if you had Michigan versus Texas in the national title game, it would have been better for networks, it would have been better for ticket resellers, it would have been better for sponsors and everyone else. That obviously isn't happening. And while viewership numbers should be better than the 17.2 million people who watched Georgia destroy TCU last year, they probably aren't going to sniff the game's 34.1 million viewers that we saw in the inaugural college football playoff national championship in 2015. For context on how this is trended, the first year was the best year for the college football playoff. 34 million people watched Ohio State versus Oregon. It was kind of somewhere in between the mid-20s for the next four, five, six, seven years. Anywhere between, you know, 23, 24, 25, 26 million we had a low in 2021, Alabama versus Ohio State, 18 million. It bounced a little bit back up the following year, 22 million for Georgia versus Alabama. Again, two big schools. Then last year, it was just a bad number, Georgia versus TCU. As I mentioned, not only is TCU a smaller fan base compared to a school like Alabama or Ohio State or LSU or someone like that, but it wasn't a good game and people tuned out. So the viewership was down. My guess is if you had to ask me today, we'll probably see somewhere around 20 to 25 million, maybe, right? I think that number, depending on how close the game is and if we have that steady build. But if I had to you know, say an exact number, maybe 24 to 25 million this year for the national championship title game. But just because TV executives would have rathered a different matchup, that doesn't mean that this year's national championship game doesn't have financial implications. A little breakdown of the numbers that the teams will receive. The Big 10 and Pac-12, the two conferences represented in this game, They will each receive $2.85 million from the NCAA to cover expenses for the national championship game. That's flights, that's hotels, that's everything associated with the game and the expenses that these conferences and the teams within them incur for going and playing in this game. Now, that's on top of the $6 million each conference received for competing in the college football playoff semifinal. So in total, since they won the semifinal and they're now in the final, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to receive around, you know, eight, nine million dollars in total from the college football playoff for expenses incurred. Locally, numbers are great too. Houston reported that their hotel occupancy rate is up 700% this time from last year. Obviously, they didn't have a game last year, so bringing the game in has made the hotels a lot of money that they wouldn't have elsewise seen. And local government in Houston expects somewhere between $150 million to $200 million in economic activity over the weekend. That's an increase. That's not just total. That's an increase over what they saw last year. That's pretty much on par with what we've seen over the last few years. Indianapolis reported an economic impact of $156 million in 2022. Los Angeles said they were somewhere between $150 to $225 million last year. And again, Houston is $150 to $200 million this year. Now, look, you guys have heard me talk about this in the past. These numbers are slightly misleading in the nicest way possible. A lot of times what they're counting is families that live in the area that are spending money, but families have budgets, and that means that they're usually not spending money on something else. So that's not net new money tax-wise to the city as opposed to someone who's traveling outside of that city. College football playoffs is something where people are traveling in a lot of cases, and that money from Michigan fans, that money from Washington fans, that money from reporters or people that work for ESPN or other places like that is net new, and that's where the majority of this tax money will come from. But the sponsorship battle for this game is pretty interesting too. Many of you will remember that Washington switched from Nike to Adidas a few years ago. And their contract includes a whole host of bonuses related to the performance of the football team. 
They won a, an extra $125,000 for winning the conference championship this year. Adidas also paid them $100,000 for an undefeated regular season. They got another $125,000 for participating in the college football playoff. And if they win the national championship, they'll get another $500,000. Heck, even if they lose the national championship, they'll get an extra $250,000. Now, this deal is reported at around $10 million a year. But again, it's slightly misleading because the school only gets paid about $5 million annual in cash plus $5 million annually in free gear. That's essentially everything that you see the players wearing, from the jerseys to the, the warm-ups, the shoes, the workout gear, everything you get, $5 million a year they get in free gear, plus a $5 million annual cash payment. But more importantly, it means that if Washington was to win the national championship, if you add up the conference championship, the undefeated regular season, getting in the playoff and winning a national title, that means they would increase their cash payment from Adidas by this year by about 20% in one year. That's obviously pretty great. And it's also great for Adidas. I mean, this is the first appearance for Adidas in a college football playoff national championship game. Obviously, this didn't start until 2014, 2015, but it's great for them, right? Nike has dominated this over the last decade, and it's awesome to see another school like Adidas, who is not as well represented as Nike, appear in this game. But when it comes to Michigan, their deal with Nike is also unique. You guys will remember Michigan was the first school to sign with the Jordan brand. They were previously affiliated with Adidas as well, but when Jim Harbaugh took the job in 2015, Michael Jordan personally called Harbaugh and asked him if Michigan wanted to become the first Jordan brand school on the football field. Michigan and Harbaugh agreed, and they will now be the first Jordan brand school also to appear and compete in the college football national championship game. Furthermore, their contract includes a bunch of great incentives too. One thing that really sticks out to me with their contract that's really interesting is they award summer internships to football players, but other student athletes on the Michigan campus for Nike at their headquarters during the summer, right? So football players can go and they can intern at Nike during the offseason that are on the football team. I think that's awesome. It's one thing that I don't normally see in contracts like this with the big name schools with Nike and other places like that. Something to point out. But there's also money just like the Washington deal, like you would imagine. It's a little bit smaller because Michigan, I mean, they're a big program. They're expected to be competing for national championships every single year. And they would win an extra $100,000 if they were to win the national championship tonight. But that's nothing compared to Jim Harbaugh's payday. Michigan's head coach already takes home nearly the same amount of money annually, $8.3 million, as the entire Washington coaching staff at $8.4 million. So again, Jim Harbaugh is making the same amount of money as the entire Washington coaching staff. And while Michigan has reportedly offered Jim Harbaugh a new contract worth $125 million over 10 years, or $12.5 million a year, many people are now speculating that Jim Harbaugh might end up back in the NFL next year. He has recently hired, as they say, NFL agent Don Yee. Now, Don Yee is the agent for Tom Brady throughout his career. He also is the agent for a bunch of different coaches, including Sean Payton, who recently signed a deal with the Denver Broncos that could be worth $100 million over 25 years, depending on if some of his incentives are met. Now, to give you guys a little bit of context on just where these coaches are, let's say Jim Harbaugh, again, is around $8 million in salary. He's not even in within the top five when it comes to annual salary in college football today. Nick Saban leads the pack at Alabama, $11.5 million. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, just around $11 million. Kirby Smart at Georgia is number three, $10.7 million. Ryan Day at Ohio State, who has yet to beat Michigan over the last three years, $10.3 million. Lincoln Riley at USC, he just got a new deal a couple of years ago for $10 million estimated payment. So again, Jim Harbaugh, whether he goes to the NFL or whether he stays at Michigan, the expectation is that his salary is going to increase for the foreseeable future after getting into the national title and potentially winning a national title with Michigan, whether that's $12 million a year, $15 million a year, whatever it is. We'll see depending on whether it's college football or the NFL. 
Now, the rumors with the NFL are interesting to me because everyone's talking about the Chargers, they're talking about the Raiders, and some other teams too. I personally have always thought over the last 6, 12 months that Harbaugh was going to be staying at Michigan. I don't think that because I have some sort of inside knowledge or people that I've talked to. It just felt like it made the most sense for Jim Harbaugh based on his comments for himself personally and also his family. But my opinion changed when Adam Schefter reported last week that Harbaugh hired Agent Donnie and then Adam Schefter went on the Pat McAfee show to mention specifically that Jim Harbaugh could potentially command a $15 million salary from an interested NFL team. Now, my opinion changed not because this was new information. In fact, it wasn't. If you follow Michigan football, I don't personally, but I've seen things online and I've read the message boards. And this information about Jim Harbaugh hiring Donnie has been public for weeks, if not months at this point. Everyone in and around Michigan football knew it. And the $15 million salary for a top coach in the NFL is just simple math. That's what they're making these days. I mean, Bill Belichick has set the market at around $20 million, but the best coaches are going to make somewhere around $15 million, $16 million or $17 million. Instead, this felt like a direct leak to Adam Schefter. If you know anything about the agency business and how they leak things to the reporters, this is exactly what is happening in my mind. For example, if the news was already known by college football insiders, why was it being made public now? Why was it being filtered through an NFL insider? And why was a salary number included in the leak? The answer to this is pretty simple in my opinion. Harbaugh's agent wanted leverage. That leverage could either be used to A, get him a bigger number out of Michigan, or B, indicate to NFL teams that he is open for business while simultaneously also saying how much money will be required to get the deal done. So we'll see what happens. I don't have any inside knowledge as to whether Jim Harbaugh is going to be staying at Michigan or whether he's going to be going to the NFL. But this feels calculated. It feels very calculated how this information has gotten out. It feels calculated that it went through an NFL reporter. And it feels calculated that a salary number was mentioned. Where there's smoke, there's typically fire. And I think that's something to watch when it comes to Jim Harbaugh and his potential future with the NFL or within college. But whether Jim Harbaugh stays at Michigan, goes to the NFL, or does something entirely different, the money in college football is only getting bigger. ESPN currently pays $470 million annually for exclusive rights to the college football playoff. They get all the games. And with the playoff expanding from 4 to 12 teams starting next year, the expectation is that the college football playoffs media rights will eventually be worth $2 billion or more annually. That would be a 368% increase. And it doesn't even include regular season TV contracts, tickets, sponsorships, or merchandise. It's just postseason TV rights. That's why I always laugh when people talk about the biggest U.S. professional sports leagues. The NFL is huge. Of course, we all know that. But college football is a bigger business today than the NBA, MLB, NHL, MLF, or anything else. And that revenue gap is only getting wider. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and learned something new for tonight's game. Enjoy the game. Have a great night. And we'll talk later this week.